Welcome to the Revival Ready podcast. This is a ministry of Edinburgh Elam Church. For more information, please visit www.edinburghelam.com. Okay, so our first session is about what can we know about God? So this is very important, very important question, very important um, subject to us. First of all, I want to thank you uh, for all of you guys, your engagement in our training, and I'd like to thank you, Pastor Gordon. He's not here, unfortunately, but uh, I'd like to thank him and all the members of the Edinburgh Elim, Elim Pentecostal Church leadership. Our first subject to give uh, more information about God, and I hope this subject, this content, can enrich your knowledge. May God Almighty make you able to answer everyone who asks about your faith in Him. Of course, it's not possible to finish everything about God in one meeting. And as it says in John 21:25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So that's very important that huge subject, you know, uh, a lot of books, a lot of research, a lot of essays and uh, theses and studies, articles. We have a, a lot of material to research about God. Uh, our God is amazing. Our God is powerful. But the first topic here, we're going to talk about existence and definition of God. So that's the first thing. You need to face the how to prove the existence of God. That's the, the, the first question maybe you can face when you are sharing your faith and uh, when you are trying to share the gospel. People say, ah, do you really believe in God? Do you really believe that? that that's amazing. That's only, only story. That's just fruit of the human imagination. Uh, I'd like to begin uh, sharing with some verses of the scriptures because our basis, uh, our basis, but our primary source of information, of course, is the Bible. So that's the reason we need to uh, know the Bible very well uh, because it's there our fountain and we drink from. And Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 6. You can find a verse about the faith. Hebrews 11 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, you needed to have faith in the existence of God. Without that faith, without that, the, the first step, you can't go anywhere. 
The Bible also states, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. That text is in Psalm 19, uh, 19 1 to 4. Psalm 19, 1 to 4. And Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. So, it's just foolishness. It's foolish to say there is no God. Because you are denying uh, a new universe of evidences. But you need to give that the evidences because sometimes people can't see. Now we can talk about the existence of God. The Bible, of course, the Bible was not written for the purpose of proving the existence of God. So the Bible was not written to prove the existence of God. Uh, as your school record, your professional curriculum, or your social media timeline is not there to prove your existence. Uh, the scriptures are not interested to prove anything about God. Evangelical systematic theology, theology has developed arguments to defend the existence and definition of God. And now you need to go through that because uh, the systematic theology is how the thinkers, how the scholars uh, use to organize all the ideas to prove the existence of God. So you need to see this. I know sometimes I'm boring stuff, but it's very important. First, we have what we call ontological argument. What does that mean? Uh, it begins with the definition of God has a, a being that which no greater can be conceived. So that's the reason uh, is ontological. That means there is nothing greater than God. There is nothing above Him. There is nothing before Him. He is the the greater being. So, a being than which no greater can be conceived. He is the greater than conceived. Mm -hmm. That's the first argument. You can sometimes find people saying, oh, the universe is so big, the universe is so huge. But the universe, you know, the distance between the stars and... They came with that, all that argument, all that information, scientific, all the, the science, all the physics, all the maths. But if you start to asking them about how that information was uh, there, how they find, how they found it, uh, and you can start to make the that people based on the science to think how is possible a so complex and so big and so uh, 
uh, well-ordained things in the universe, just by mistake or just by uncaused. So that's the reason uh, you need, we need to start to arguing and asking them. We've got another argument, it's called a teleological argument. So it's more related with the design things. Everything has a perfect design. Since the universe displays such an amazing design, there must have been a divine designer. You know, if you start to uh, take a look on biology or uh, chemical, if you see to the Fibonacci sequence, sequence in everything, you can see your ear, your ear, in your, your head. Did you know is the design of your ear? You can find the sequence of Fibonacci there. And you can see the same thing in the, in the flowers. You can see the same things in the, in the way of the, the stars and the universes are uh, designed. So, it's amazing. So, must have been, must have been a divine designer behind the facts, behind everything. So, this is called teleological argument. The third one is cosmological argument. Is it very simple? Every effect must have a cause. Okay? Ah, yeah. oh, I'm feeling headache. Or must have a cause. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling painful. Must have a cause. So, every effect must have a cause. If the universe and everything in it is an effect, so there must be something that caused the universe. So this caused is called, in cosmological argument, the uncaused cause. <laughs> that cause, the primary cause of everything, and that cause is uncaused. Because there is nothing to get caused that cause. I, I don't know if I'm... <laughs> I know it's a bit uh, philosophical, it's a bit... Aristotelic, but well, is the way. So this cause is called uncaused cause. And the very definition of that cause is God. So God. Sometimes people can say, ah, about the Big Bang. There was a Big Bang. Mm. And that Big Bang, that big explosion made the universe, the universe start to expand. Oh, okay, great. You call Big Bang. I called God. We are talking about the same thing. Different perspectives, different names. But even the Big Bang needs a cause behind the Big Bang. What started the Big Bang? We know there is no explosion without something to make that explosion to happen. So that's the reason you use the cosmological argument to start to think what is the cause? Where is the cause for that? Where is the cause for another thing? Where is the cause? And when they uh, exhaust everything and they said everything, they will be without exit to the existence of God. 
And the last one is, of course, moral argument. The moral argument is very simple. Every culture, every culture in all human history has had some form of law or moral law, a sense of right and wrong common in almost all tribes, nations, groups of people, etc. Where this moral law came come from? If not from a holy and truthful God. Because this moral law is inside us, is with us. I'm saying to you, if you put two babies in a remote island and they will grow up without anything, all the information about the world, all the information about the civilization, everything, just observe them. Of course, you need to give some. <laughs> you need to give some resources because, well, we are humans. Eh? You need. Uh, if you need just the basics, but don't tell them about the right and wrong, the good, the bad, the danger, safe. They will discover that things, all the things, for their own, and inside them. They had that information because they got that information from the past. It's a kind of heritage. So it's from the my ancestors. And if ah but they have that in the DNA. They have that in their uh, during the the pregnancy. They received that information. Of course, okay, I agree with that. But if you start to question about the, okay, let's see about the ancestors and go and go and go and go and go. And you're going to see uh, archaeological information about this. You're going to see uh, some cultures, very ancient cultures, they got the, the same knowledge about right, wrong, good, bad. So where they learn, where they, they receive that. This is the moral law. And the moral law is inside us, has a proof. You can say about the existence of God through that. You can see the existence of God. So the existence of God cannot be proved by science itself. But we have much more reasons to accept his existence than to deny it. The origin of the universe, the complex order of the universe, objective moral law values in the world, and much more topics can be studied as part of the argumentation to make God's existence acceptable. So, how can we define God? Well, let's see. Strong said God is the infinite and perfect spirit. In whom all things have their source, support, and end. And another definition says, God is the supreme being, the creator and ruler of all that is, the self-existent one who is perfect in power, goodness, and wisdom. 
É, A.W. Tozer, American Christian pastor, author, magazine editor, spiritual mentor, wrote, wrote in a little book of his own, The Attributes of God, entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. And his very first line of the first chapter he reads, What comes into our, our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I say again, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And one of the, the ways to apprehend more about God is about His name. Because as you know, the name brings information about us. Brings information about your background, about your story. And when Moses was the, directed by God to, the, to go to the Egyptian Pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelites, Moses asked God, asked God, and you can read in Exodus 3.13, you can read, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of, our, of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? That's the question Moses uh, made to God. And the answer God gave Moses was simple, yet very revealing. Now it's very important. Exodus 3.14 God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The Hebrew text in verse 14 literally says, I be that I be, or yet I become what I become. The tetragrammaton, the four letters, yod hey vav hey. Just... Uh, Just pay attention for this information. Yod, hey, vav, hey. Just pay, pay attention for that. Because uh, later on I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something as a bonus to you uh, about this name. Uh, yod, hey, vav, hey, in Hebrew. Um, this name speaks to the fact that God is pure existence. You can research all the information in, in the history of these civilizations and archaeological, even in Babylon, even in, uh, uh, in the Persians, even in most ancient. You can research about the gods they used to worship and everything. No one of them ever said to their to his people, "I am who I am," or "I become what I become," or even "I be that I be." This this is a peculiar 
specific characteristic of our God. Pure existence. Is that which is with no possibility to not exist. Put another way, many things can have existence. Uh, for example, human beings, animals, plants, but only one thing can be existence. So that's the difference. We ha you have existence. But to be existence, just one can say, I am who I am. <coughs> it's a bit uh, hard to understand because it's very philo philosophical. Other things have been, but only God is being. So that's the the definition about God. So it's the same information I already said to you guys. Okay, any questions to hear? Good? Yeah. Shall we go? Great. So, number two about the revelation of God. If God is so amazing, so great, so big, so wonderful, so powerful, how God reveals Himself to His creation? How He gave to us, not proof, but how He gave to us the, the certainty of His existence. So, how He made the way, how He left his signature and everything in signs and tips about his existence. So that we call the revelation of God. The term revelation deals, deals with how God has revealed himself to humanity. Or in other words, how he has made himself known. And we can dis distinguish uh, God's revelation in two ways. Two ways we can deal with revelation of God. The first one we call the universal revelation. Or general revelation. Or indirect revelation. So the universal revelation. Um, or general revelation. And the another way is special revelation. Or direct revelation. Revelation. The difference here is universal revelation deals deals with how we can understand God through nature, through nature, human nature, and history. If you uh, look to the nature, as we already mentioned, biology, zoology, and everything, you're gonna see. The, the mark, the signature of God, the history, nature itself exposes and claims for a creator. Paul quotes uh, Psalm 19.4 in reference to hearing the gospel. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In Romans 10, 18. Paul told uh, men that God had given 
testimony of himself in that he has shown kindness by giving them rain from heaven, crops in their seasons, and even provides them with their food in Acts 14, in the book of Acts 14, 15 to 17. Our human, human nature also claims for a designer. I know, you are not, you are not perfect. <laughs> you are not the, the perfect body, but well. Uh, our body claims for a designer. Uh, most evident is the, the moral and spiritual qualities found within humankind that reflect the character of the designer. It's like a signature our designer left in us to make sure who we belong to or who is the author of our life. This is the universal revelation, or general or indirect. And the special revelation is distinguished from a general revelation in that is a direct revelation from God. So when God talks directly to someone. For example, direct speech to various people as prophets, uh, according to Peter 2, Peter 1, 20 to 21. Uh, the incarnation, this is about Jesus, God incarnated, as you can see in Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these, day, these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed here of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. The Hebrews 1 verse 1 and 2. And the Bible. The Bible is... A special revelation. Because the Bible is the word of God. When you read the Bible, you can receive direct revelation from Him. Such revelation is sufficient to communicate the gospel. And like general revelation and thus salvation is possible only through a special revelation. This is very important. Because you can find God in universal revelation. But God and salvation, only through the special revelation. Essentially, special revelation is related to God himself revealing to humanity. The Bible is the historical recording from that. God guided the authors to record his message to mankind, while still using their own personalities and style. This is very interesting. You can see the difference between the books and the authors. Uh, but you can see uh, there is somebody uh, guiding them through the words. Uh, oral tradition is the oldest source of information about such a, a revelation. However, personalized forms of revelation such as dreams and visions can be misunderstood and inaccurate. As you know, I can have a dream and tell you today, 10 years later, 
I can ask you about the dream I told you, and can you can give me a bad information, or you can just uh, left some pieces behind. Uh, does the written record <coughs> becomes like an anchor of divine revelation? That's important to written. Yeah, that this is a tip I give to you. Always write down all the revelation God gives to you. Always write down. It's very important. <coughs> For sure, the ultimate of a special revelation of God is the person of Jesus Christ. God becomes, uh, becomes a human being to identify with us, to teach us, to reveal himself. To set an example to us. And most importantly. To provide salvation for us. By humbling himself in obedience to death. Even death on a cross. As you can see in Philippians 2. 6 to 8. Philippians 2. 6 to 8. This topic will be better studied and explained at our next meeting. <laughs> next month. 24 by my very able brother. Okay? Okay, uh, I think it's fair enough for this first split, 29 minutes now. So I will give you just a few minutes of break, just to stretch your legs, take a, uh, just fuel up your cup of tea or coffee or water, and you'll be back. Now you got the, the third point. There is no three there, but this is a third point. Attributes of God. Uh, if you need to explain about God to someone, you need to know the attributes of God because this God has uh, qualities and characteristics as you. As you and me. So what, make you, what makes you a person? Your qualities and characteristics. In the same way God possesses communicable and incommunicable attributes. So the attributes of God are generally classified in their two groups. Uh, communicable. When we say communicable, we are saying those that are shared with his creatures. And incommunicable. Those that are unique to God. Yeah. Just with him. And th through him. Communicable attributes. Qualities of God. That we can experience. And understand. For example. God loves. So. We can love. God hates. God hates, we can hate. Nobody wanna question? Oh, you are hard now, yeah, that's heavy. God hates? How is that possible? Yeah. But well, God hates the sin. <laughs> God hates. We <laughs> are? Yeah. God hates. Um, the, the, this is a general example for the communicable 
attributes. The incommunica incommunicable attributes of God are those qualities of his nature that we cannot experience. For example, God knows all things, but we do not. God is everywhere. <laughs> we are not. God is all-powerful. And we are not powerful. All-powerful. Uh, so, God's attributes are infinite. They are without limits. And there is, a, there is nothing lacking in any quality of God. Because God is perfect. Um, there are no limits to his power, understanding, and everything. The Bible tells us, tells us what God is like and what he is not like. Without the authority of the Bible, any attempt to explain God's attributes would be no better than an opinion, which by itself is often incorrect, especially in understanding God. Uh, God, is, God is amazing. To know God, we need to spend time with Him through reading the Bible, praying and worshipping Him. Worshiping him. Uh, failure to do so can cause us to set up, chase after and worship false gods contrary to His will. It's essential to understanding how these attributes correspond to God's being, that attributes should not be considered parts of Him. So, God is not a group of attributes or qualities, but the attributes, they are parts, they are uh, found in Him, but rather are perspectives on his whole being. And I will give you some attributes of God. Now. Let's start our list with eternal. God is eternal. Yeah. Meaning he had no beginning. And his existence will never end. He's immortal and infinite. He's, he has always existed in the same way. Fully and completely as God. The another one is God is immutable, meaning He is unchanging. This in turn means that God is absolutely reliable and trustworthy. God is uncomparable. There is no one like Him in works or being. So that's the reason He is unique. There is only one God. And this is very important. There is only one God. He is unequaled and perfect. God is... Now I need some help because some words are very difficult to me. God is inscrutable, inscrutable, unfathomable, unsearchable. Yeah, great. That means in past finding out as far as understanding him completely. So there is no way to search God and find and discover everything about him. So God is inscrutable. inscrutable. Uh, 
God is holy. Of course. Separated from all moral defilement and hostile towards it. God sees all evil and it and it angers him. God is referred to as a consuming fire in the Bible. When the sin and when God reaches the sin, there is a fire, a consuming fire to the sin. But God is gracious as well. And His grace includes His goodness, kindness, mercy and love. If it were not for God's grace, His holiness would exclude us from His presence. Because we are all sinners. Thankfully, thankfully, this is not the case for He desires to know each of us personally. Now that is amazing. Eh? God desires. This is so, so amazing. Um, and another one. God is just. He's no, he's no respecter of persons in the sense of showing favoritism. God is deeply concerned with making wrongs right. He lets no sinner off the hook without a fitting punishment or a fitting substitutionary atonement. Oh, this is, this is amazing. Because he's just. And he knows we can't fulfill uh, all the sacrifice to reach him and to uh, defeat our sins before him. So that's the reason he sent uh, his son. Well, of course God is omnipotent. And that means he is all powerful and can do anything that pleases him. But his actions will always be in accord with the rest of his character. Omnipotence in its full and absolute sense is a doctrine that is consistent only with a monotheistic creed. It's impossible omnipotency in a polytheist culture or religion because uh, you know, yeah, the, for example, that Greek uh, gods from the Olymp, and they start to fighting against each other, and there's the Poseidon, and there's Zeus, and there's a, it's a mess because there is no omnipotence there. Omnipotence is all power, so only one can have that attribute. And God is omnipresent. Just, just to mention, that prefix omni came from the Latin, and the Latin means all, complete, transcendent. So transcendent power, transcendent presence. So it's very restrict, exclusively to God. So omnipresence, meaning he is present everywhere. But this doesn't mean 
that God is everything. You can find uh, during your journey some people thinking, oh, God is in everything. God is in the butterfly. God is in the flower. God is in the... No, He is there. Your, his presence. But He is not that. Okay? No, just make sure you understand in the presence that doesn't mean that God is everything. He cannot be enclosed by any limits. However far this may be extended. And God is omniscient. And he, meaning he's, um, He knows the past, the present, and future. Including what we are thinking at any given moment. Even now. Since He knows everything, His justice will always be administered fairly. And God is sovereign, meaning He is supreme. All of His creation put together cannot thwart His purpose. And God is a spirit or immaterial, meaning He is invisible. This does not mean that God is absolutely nothing. Because immateriality has a word can sometimes mean this. Nothing is ausence of material. This is very important because some um, um, philosophies from Hinduism uh, Shintoism, they think about this kind of thing, say, the non-existence, immateriality means nothing, so God uh, needs to have uh, a kind of vessel, you know, so you're gonna, maybe you can find this kind of thinking, so this doesn't mean that God is absolutely nothing, Rather, it means that God is nothing physical. And, one more, the truth. God is the truth. He will remain incorruptible, I think is the word, and cannot lie. <laughs> this is amazing because God cannot lie. And we like his children, we cannot lie. We are not allowed to lie. Even to save our lives. <laughs> well, <clears throat> depending on how you look at God's attributes, they may include a list of varying length, of course. Being infinite God. So are his qualities and attributes. The greatest responsibility of the human being is to continue his task of strengthening the relationship with, he, with this infinitely gracious God. This is our mission. That's the reason we are here. 
in the world to uh, strengthening our relationship because God uh, created us to relations. Okay? Uh, shall we go? The next one. And the next one is relationship between creator and creature. The Bible says that God can never fully be known, of course. Uh, the psalmist tells us that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. In Psalm 145 verse 3. Paul adds to this idea, observing that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And later notes that no one, no one comprehends the things of God except the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12. This idea is ultimately summed from the very mouth of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can see Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8, 9. Although God cannot be known completely, we can discover true facts about Him. In fact, this aspect of God has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. In Jeremiah 9, 23-24 <coughs> um, <coughs> This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. Who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. In John 14, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. <laughs> that will be enough for, of course, all the humanity. Show us the Father. Interesting question, John 14, verse 8. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you? So, that's the... Sorry. John 14, verse 8. says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 14, verse 9. Thus the fullness of Godhead what dwells in Christ bodily. 
and in Christ shine forth the brightness of God's glory, the express image of His person. I know I'm telling about Jesus already, <laughs> giving, giving some tips. <laughs> God created mankind to keep a relationship with Him. That's the goal. That's the purpose. Since the beginning. Let's check uh, step by step. God creates the world man and woman. Good. And after that God provides a perfect environment for them and gives some rules to be followed. Simple. Very simple for <laughs> rules, by the way. And the man breaks one of the rules. And that's called sin. And the punishment is the separation of God. That we can read in Romans 5, 12. When Paul says, Therefore, just as Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. We all sinned. And God has already provided a sacrifice to bring the man to his primary purpose. Relationship with him. And now we have a path, a way relationship with him that sacrifice provided then we are trying to build that relationship through uh, religion and you can see that the most uh, resistant the, the resistance you can maybe uh, find is about religion because the religion uh, of course, there is a, a, a bad side, I can say, through the history. Some people are very resistant to the idea of religion because they don't like the history of the religion and people killing in the name of God and all the blood uh, and the history by uh, religion, religious wars and everything. So you can see this, you can find this. But religion leans heavily upon uh, man's righteous efforts. Uh, efforts. It often requires diligent service and works in expectation of earning an eternal reward, forgiveness and redemption through each person's abilities, power of self Motivation, self-control, and self-determination, salvation is hoped for. Through his own work. But, inevitably, any shortcomings on the, on the part of the individual result in disappointment, chronic guilt, and ultimately, an unfulfilled, unfulfilled relationship with God. I can say very uh, I'm very I'm pretty sure you can find a lot of people 
frustrated by the religion. Frustrated inside the religion. You can, you can see churches full of them. Because they are frustrated not uh, with God, but they are frustrated with the religious way they choose to follow. The true relationship with God comes from His amazing love and grace reaching out to us. God is always stepping the rescue mission to get His creation back. You can see this Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the word, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So God is always going uh, in the rescue of the humankind. What the same way in the Eden. Uh, every day God has a meeting with Adam, the first man. Every day. Till one day, the man didn't appear. God, of course, God <laughs> knew everything. But God could just say, well, I'm going to take action. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. But even God went uh, after the man, saying, where are you? So the first missionary in the world was God himself going after Adam, saying, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Um, since the beginning, God desired an everlasting loving relationship with the man. Thus we can affirm, religion cannot restore our relationship with God again. No human ritual, deed or sacrifice can provide payment or absolution for our sins. Not a single human being, by his own Efforts is able to measure up to the glory of God. We might ask how we can get the way back to the relationship broken by the first man. Through Jesus, we can experience God's presence. We can see love, but God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were Still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. We can see sacrifice. But if no... Sorry. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the Holy Word. 1 John 2, verse 1-2. The great lawyer. The great solicitor. You have a lawyer. Uh, we can see faithfulness. God, who has called in you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. We can see Mercy, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 23-24 We can see peace and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7 And you can find in Jesus joy. Yes, joy. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard... I already said that. Philippians 4, 7. Yes, the peace of God. Joy. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1, 2. Yes. That's the right one. And we can see and find eternity. Uh, as Jesus said, I, Jesus, give them eternal life and they shall never perish. My Father, who has given them to me, and is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 10, 28-30 Okay, so now we reach to the end. Thanks for listening to Revival Ready, the ministry of Edinburgh Elam Church. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Edinburgh Elam.com